Welcome to Don't Box Me In, the show that features conversations with people from all walks of life, talking about their extraordinary experiences and inspirational messages. Now, here's your host, Lana Reed. Well, hello, hello, hello. Like they said, I'm Lana Reed, and welcome back to this week's edition of Don't Box Me In. Today, my guest will share her experience with mental illness. And uh, just before we start, just want to let you know there are an estimated 26.2% of Americans ages 18 and older. Um, that's about one in four adults who suffer from a diagnosable mental disorder in a given year. Now, the estimated cost of untreated mental illness is over uh, $1 billion in the United States, and this includes things such as unemployment, unnecessary disability, substance abuse, and more. Now, sadly, there are 25% of the people with mental illness who feel that others are compassionate and understanding towards those suffering with one of these disorders, only 25%. So hopefully today we will do our part in understanding and um, becoming more compassionate when it comes to this matter. Shannon Love is the author of the book, Twisting My Kaleidoscope, and is here today to share her personal story with us. I appreciate her so much for her strength and her sharing, and I welcome her warmly. Shannon, welcome to Don't Box Me In. Thank you, Lana. It's a pleasure to be on here. Pleasure, pleasure to have you. So um, I took my time getting ready for the show and, and, and scoped through your website, and, and I, I got some blurbs of the book and everything. So I'm understanding that you are a uh, born-in-the-country girl from Alabama, right? <laughs> yes, that's, I come from very humble beginnings. <laughs> okay. So um, how, many, how many in the clan were there when you were growing up there? I I grew up with three brothers. I was the second oldest, so of, of three. I had a brother that was uh, 13 months older than me, and then two younger brothers who were seven and ten years younger than I am. The only girl in the crew. The only girl, that's right. So I'm going to uh, put myself out there and say you probably ran them uh, at your will, right? I was the one in charge. I was definitely, <laughs> <laughs> and I played my part well. <laughs> That's it. Okay, ladies, get her away. Now, did I read correctly that your mother and father uh, went their separate ways early when you were young? They did. My my mom and dad did uh, split up at a young age. Uh, my mom is actually uh, homosexual, so she's not. She she needed to go into a different direction. And then my father remarried to a wonderful woman who I also call mom because that's what she is. Okay. Okay. Now, just curious, was your mom, your biological mom, still kind of present and part of the oh, process? Um, she was. Uh, she was in and out. She, I mean, my mom came out of the closet at a, t- at a time and a place that uh, was a very difficult time and place to to actually be gay. It was just, it was not an easy life for her. And, and she needed to kind of search for herself. So she was out of the picture for a short while. Uh, but she came back into the picture when I was about, uh, about eight or nine years old. I, I started seeing her again and spending time with her. Awesome. Awesome. Now you mentioned in your, um, Book there that you ended up marrying your childhood sweetheart, and oh, I'm kind dear. of fond. <laughs> I'm kind of fond of that because I am the product of childhood sweethearts. My parents got together in the seventh grade. So when did you uh, start uh, interacting with your your husband to be there? How young were you? Um. How okay? I, I apologize. I'm 
uh, for some reason you're breaking up. You asked me how, how old was I when I met my husband? Yes, dear. Okay. Um, I met him in fourth grade at a tiny little country school uh, in rural Alabama, uh, and there were only 24 people in our entire grade. And uh, she, uh, I just... I just had a crush on him from the very beginning. I remember sending him a note saying, I like you. Do you like me? Check yes. <laughs> we remember those notes. Uh, did he say yes? Oh, he tore it up and said, no way. It took him a few years to come around. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> but he finally got it together. <laughs> so you guys, uh, high school sweethearts and all of that stuff? Oh, yeah. We, uh, we, uh, Began, I moved to another school. It's a long story. I, I moved away to get, uh, to live with my mom for a short while when I was in middle school. And then I returned home. We, we continued to be friends on the phone and that developed into a, a strong friendship. And then, and eventually we became a couple, an item. Awesome. Awesome. So now, you you started to uh, well your story is you became this international you and him both became these international travelers when when was it in your growing up in Alabama did you kind of feel like you were bigger than Alabama that that's interesting my husband and i were probably i was probably in elementary school um i was probably the most ambitious girl and he was the most ambitious boy and i think we both grew up having aspirations of uh of seeing more of the world i think that was just as long as i can remember i've always wanted to get out and see the world and i think my husband has felt the same way Okay. Okay. So did you guys, after high school, did the travel start right away or we went off to college or what happened? Oh, yeah. We, we went to college. Uh, uh the, we had the University of Alabama at, at, in our back, at our back door. So we went, both went there. He went there because they offered him so many scholarships. He just couldn't turn them down. And I went there because, probably because he went there. <laughs> <laughs> Gotta keep an eye on my man, right? <laughs> I I was pretty smitten. I have to I have to admit. <laughs> okay. All of those okay. things that parents worry about. <laughs> yes, indeed. So you guys got married after college? We did. We promised our parents we would wait until we graduated, and we did. We we may I graduated first, and we married two days after his last final exam. Awesome. And and when did you guys hit the road? What was the first destination? Uh, our first destination was Midland, Texas, which is just West Texas. It's a, a little oil town that's a bit like Mayberry. <laughs> Mayberry. <laughs> what, you, uh, the job took you there or it was just? Yes. We, we, we've always followed my husband's career. I, um, was a school teacher, so I could pretty much get a job anywhere we lived. So we followed his career. When did the first little munchkin pop up? Oh, about four years after we married, I was 27 when he was born, and uh, he was—he was precious, and he <laughs> cried a lot. He—he he cried a lot. He had colic, oh. <laughs> but uh, but he was—he was—he was a doll. We used to call him the Tasmanian Devil because he just kind of whirled in and whirled out in every room that he came into. <laughs> Awesome. So he was four. He was four years into the marriage. So we, were you guys still in Midland, Texas? Uh, he. It's a long story, uh, but we were transferred to Houston, 
uh, and he was actually born in Houston. But then my husband's job took us back to Midland um, two weeks after my son was born. So we moved almost immediately after he was born back to uh, to Midland. Okay. So when was your first family trip out of the country? Uh, our first time to leave the U.S. was when my husband was in graduate school, um, getting his MBA, working on his MBA. We, uh, uh, he decided to take one semester over at Estade, which is a, um, which is a business university in Barcelona, Spain. And we, it was, we spent four months there when the boys were quite small. We had no money, but we loved it. It was an exciting experience. Sometimes you don't need money. You just need family and love, and that makes the yeah. best experiences, yes. <laughs> yeah, I'm a, a Air Force brat, so I spent uh, some time overseas, and it's, it's wonderful to get out there and see how other people are doing their thing and, and, and harness those experiences. I, I just think it makes your, your mindset so much more uh, broader when you do those things. So yeah. we, we did a little time in Spain, and then we came back to the States. United, oh, excuse me, that's some military terms there. Yeah, we we uh, we returned to the states, and my husband, um, uh, as soon as he graduated, he had he uh, was asked to uh, with his first position um, to actually work on a project in uh, in Angola in Luanda, okay. Angola. But that was a project that it was not a family status position. So the kids and I, we moved, we packed up our bags and moved to the East Bay area in California. Uh, and we arrived there on a Saturday, and I believe by Tuesday my husband had to leave for, to go to Angola and begin this project. Oh, bummer. How long was he gone for? Uh, he, he, it was off and on. He would, it, it was a six month project, and he would be gone for maybe a month or so, and then he would come home for two weeks, and then he would leave for another month and come home for two weeks. And so it was, it was that sort of thing. He, kind of rotated in and rotated out but he was there more than he was at home but it was only six months so it wasn't it wasn't too bad so what was the first opportunity for the kids to kind of live overseas um other than barcelona uh when my we we had a, a third child we actually adopted our third child and moved to houston and spent a few years in Houston and my husband had an opportunity to go back to Luanda, Angola. And this time, um, it was a family status position. So the entire family packed up our bags and we, we moved to West Africa. It was okay. Lovely <laughs> trip for the kids. <laughs> it was, it was exciting. We loved it. It was, it was, it was an amazing adventure. Okay. You know, you, you think, um, as a mother, sometimes isn't there some sort of like hesitation? Like I'm about to pack up my kids and you know just carry them off here. What about school? What about healthcare? What about this? There was no hesitation at all. You know, maybe if I had a little more sense, uh, there would have been. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> but uh, no, I just thought, oh, this is a great opportunity for us as a family. My kids will be able to attend an international school and be around kids from all walks of life. And be exposed to different a different language, and um, I don't know. I just I just had complete faith that it would all work out. I, um, maybe that was ignorance on my part, but sometimes it's bliss. They say, right? <laughs> yes. 
I just picture, you know, like both sets of grandparents, like, what are you doing? Where are you taking my grandchildren? You know, <laughs> and that is kind of how the grandparents reacted. <laughs> I can see it now. Like, oh, my gosh, who did we raise? I, these kids are crazy. <laughs> hey, they raised us. So it was their fault. <laughs> <laughs> are you the, the only two with the traveling bug or are the other siblings kind of world travelers as well? Uh, my, my husband's sister was in the military, so she lived overseas and, and, and she, she kind of has an, an adventurous side to her as well. And then I had a brother, actually, uh, all three of my brothers and my, man, my father and mom, all my parents are very adventurous and, and have always uh, loved, enjoyed traveling. My dad worked in Australia and China when he was younger, so. He didn't take us there. It was not a family status <laughs> position, but, but yeah, I think that, that the whole idea of living an adventurous life and seeing the world was instilled in me at a young age. Awesome. Okay, cool. Well, Shannon, we're going to take a quick break. We're going to see if we can fix this connection thing and we'll be right back right after commercial. Okay. Thank you, Lana. Mm-hmm. Welcome back to Don't Box Me In. Here's your host, Lana Reed. Welcome back. Welcome back to Don't Box Me In. Today I am hanging out with Shannon Love. She's the author of the book, Twisting My Kaleidoscope. And uh, before the break, we were uh, beginning to learn about some of her worldwide travels. Uh, now I want to kind of bring us to the point. Um, somewhere along the way, you and the family ended up in Beijing. Can you tell us how that happened, when that happened, what brought you there? Uh, yes, uh, my husband had an opportunity to uh, to take a position in Beijing with his com- with the company that he works for, and our daughter happened. We adopted our daughter, and she happens to be Chinese, uh, and so Chinese American, but she was born in China, and uh, it was just on a personal level, it was just an opportunity we couldn't pass up to to kind of for us to all um, just be, you know, just be kind of immerse ourselves into her culture, into her heritage. Okay. So when you guys uh, were going there, what was the what was the plan? How long did you guys plan to stay there? Uh, probably about three years. Oh, okay. So a significant period of time. Okay. So how long were you um, in Beijing before you went to the doctor for this? Uh, I think I had lived there for a about a year at that point, and I, it was time for my annual exam, just my annual physical exam, mm-hmm. and uh, it, the exam went just as usual until they got to the ECG, and then when they did the ECG, they became very concerned and asked me if I was having chest pain and did not want me to leave, and it basically began a series of 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 tests of what dealing with my heart that took about five months to resolve. So they were at first seeing some complications, some issues with your, your heart. Um, but if I'm understanding correctly, that really wasn't what your issue was or that was the instigator that, that's kind of what 
that was the trigger that kind of started the entire domino effect. Uh, once I, I became so stressed out about that because um, just a bit of background information. My both of my biological parents have heart conditions, and my brother, who I shared with both of my biological parents, died of a massive heart attack at the age of 36. So it was I was I was quite scared, and uh, that triggered an anxiety disorder, which basically developed into mania and exacerbated and uh, to. Uh, psychosis eventually, along with quite a few other stressors that were involved as well. But that was what got the ball rolling. The main one. So you you go into the hospital there, um, you go to for your annual exam, they're finding some irregularities with your heart and they're doing some testing and you said it lasted for five months. Um, was it during this five months or like after this five months that you started to feel the symptoms of psychosis or was it long after? I think at that point it was primarily anxiety that I was dealing with. But I think towards the end of it, um, I began to become manic. I also decided to go back to school and work on my master's degree and was that the extra stimulation there, I think also along with the anxiety that I had been concerned with earlier, um, kind of, developed into mania and, and I became quite manic at that point and that's when my state really my state of mind had changed quite a bit but I, I don't think I <clears throat> fell into complete into a complete psychotic state until probably all of this began until almost a, about a year after actually the the that initial uh, exam that I had. Okay. Now, first, I guess maybe let me backtrack. In all the testing of your heart, did they find there was any problems at all? No. They basically said it, I was just some sort of anomaly. <laughs> every, okay. time, every time they, they did my ECG, they it, it, they would become very concerned. And obviously, it must it must my ECG must look like someone who's having a heart attack. I don't know. But they would always become quite concerned. And but every test showed that I my heart was in good condition. So okay, so I guess the clarity that I want to have for myself is: so you go through this for five months, and and every time, and at the end of the five months, there's Shannon. We can't find anything. You, everything is okay. But even still, with all of that, you still feel anxiety, even after they say you are fine and you're okay. Um, I think the anxiety began to dissipate some, but because at the end of that, I started becoming manic, and uh, I, I think at that point, I, I was kind of, kind of going into a direction of no return. I was, uh, I was basically, my dopamine levels were just, you know, just way out there, and I just... My body, my body was just not willing to come back down. I obviously have inherited something that would cause me to react differently to the stressors than the average person. Okay. Now, everybody has different triggers sometimes and people respond differently. For you, um, reflecting back, when you say you started to have these manic stages, what did that look like for you? Um, well, it's, it's kind of funny. <laughs> I became hyper religious and hypersexual. I know that sounds strange, but I did. I became uh, uh I was 
I got, I'm very involved in my church and my Bible study, but I also, um, fell in love with the Baha'i faith so much so that then I became so fascinated with it that I contemplated switching religions and becoming Baha'i. Um, and I'm, I'm not a very religious person, so I'm actually a, a spiritual person, but not a very religious person. So, uh, so uh, I became quite hyper-religious with those two things, even, and I started feeling euphoric and also an, I became quite hypersexual as well, which is another common symptom of mania. So my that was worked out well for my husband at the time. I was getting ready to say he probably enjoyed <laughs> that, right? <laughs> he did, except for um, I I began isolating myself from him. So I was I it was almost like I was using him as my toy. To be honest with you, at that time I was I was I was I wanted to physically be with him, but emotionally I was really not there for him at all. Okay. So then I guess we're, we're going through this. Is anybody, so I know we have the doctors testing your heart, but is there any medical professional at this time coming in and around you guys saying, this is what's going on with Shannon at this point? No, nobody really knew what was going on with me. I, I, I people had noticed that I was, had, was losing quite a bit of weight and um, I had a few comments about about you know you're you're getting a little bit too thin. I'm kind of concerned about you, but other than that, it, it everyone was kind of in the dark about it, including myself. Uh, we didn't we didn't know that anything was happening. We didn't recognize it. So what brought you? Who was the person, or what brought you to? There's something more that's wrong here than just you know being in touch with religion and uh having some more loving moments with my husband um basically uh basically what happened was my husband and I did we did kind of come to an impasse and decided that we needed to try to work on our marriage some more that you know that things were not we we weren't in sync which was unusual for us because we always had been in sync up to that point uh but Around that time, um, I began to hear this voice, um, and the voice developed into into a personality, and uh, and we developed. I developed a relationship with this hallucination, and uh, a, a very intimate relationship with this hallucination. So much so that I would say that it was both erotic and spiritual at the same time. I, I definitely felt very erotic feelings toward this hallucination, but I also felt like God had plans for us. And in this hallucination, I gave him a name. Mm-hmm. Uh, in the book, I call him Antoni- um, Valentino, sorry, Valentino, mm-hmm. but I actually uh, named him something else that I'm too embarrassed to say. <laughs> no problem. Uh, but uh, uh, in Valentino, uh and I spoke through my mind. I didn't speak aloud with my words, uh, with my mouth, but we spoke through my mind. And he told me that the world was watching me and that a really bad guy that he had been deceiving me my entire life for this, for this, for this purpose. And he was not who he said he was. And he convinced me to ask my husband for a divorce. And I did. And, uh, uh, my husband became distraught after that. But shortly after that, uh, my sister-in-law, who is the widow of my brother that passed away, came to visit me in China. Mm-hmm. And I was already 
fairly psychotic at this point. And she, I had some pretty strange delusions about her and my brother and my late brother as well that came up, but I'll talk about that another time. Mm-hmm. Um, at that point, um, I, my paranoia had just escalated into terror and I became terrified that, that the Chinese government wanted to kill me and that David, oh, sorry, I'm not supposed to say his name. Oh, shoot. Mm, no. my, my, oh, my husband, uh, you don't, you don't, hopefully nobody heard that. No. Uh, my husband wanted to kill me as well. And, uh, Valentino, my hallucination, uh, told me that if I went to the hospital, that they would evacuate me to the U.S. and I would, and they would save my life. So I, so I went to the hospital pretending like there was something wrong with me. And then when they could find nothing wrong with me, I broke down in tears and said, I, that they're going to kill me if you send me back home. And, and then they kind of put two and two together and, and then they realized what was happening and that I was in psychiatric distress and, and they, they kept me overnight, and then the next morning they took me via ambulance to a psychiatric hospital in another part of Beijing. Okay. We're going to uh, take a quick break here now. I'm looking at the time, and when we come back, I want to talk about uh, your admittance to the um, psych-, psych facility and uh, after that. Stay with me. We'll be right back. Okay, sure. Let's return to Don't Box Me In with your host, Lana Reed. Hello and welcome back. Today I'm hanging out with the author of the book, Twisting My Kaleidoscope, Miss Shannon Love. And uh, we were talking about uh, while she was in Beijing, that's when she began to experience uh, some of her episodes. And um, you were talking about your first admittance into the hospital. Uh, my my understanding and knowledge of certain mental um, illnesses as they usually, some of them occur at a certain age. So I want to know how old were you when this happened? I, I was 42, which is out of the ordinary. Okay, very much so. Okay, that, that was kind of like, well, maybe she was in her 20s. So, okay, this kind of fits. But no. So then my next question before we move on, um, is there any uh, history of any kind of mental illness in your family? Um, I, I believe so. Uh, my mom is, has been diagnosed with clinical depression, my biological mom. And my dad, who will kill me for saying this because he doesn't believe it, but I'm, I'm pretty sure my dad is, has, is bipolar. So because he's very, he uh, is very, he has very high highs and, and low lows. So, um, yeah, so I would, I would say that this probably runs pretty strongly in my family. Okay, and Dad, we say that with love, so no, no, no harm. No, I, yeah. <laughs> okay. man. So. Yeah, yeah. You know, and and you know that's the thing. I think people don't understand. There's a lot of people that are next to us every day that give the appearance of being functional, but you know they're quietly suffering with their own, you know, demons. And I think that you know you talking and other people talking. I mean, it, it just kind of brings you know this to the forefront, and people need to understand. But um, you know, one of the things uh, is. I mean, it probably wasn't humorous for you going through it, but I think it's going to, you know, Mr. Valentino, here's what we're going to call him in quotes, right? Valentino is telling you um, these things that are, are driving you to 
do certain things like you said, ask your husband for a divorce, you're trying to get admitted to the hospital, you don't want to come back home. Um, it, it, finally, there's some medical professionals that realize, you know, Shannon is, is doing something, is going through something more here, and they admit you. Um, so how long do they keep you that, that first time there? I uh, they, I was only there for about three days, and it was actually a very pleasant experience. Uh, believe it or not, it was uh, they they were so kind to me. I was the only foreigner in the hospital, so they they treated me like a rock star. They really did. <laughs> and uh, about three days after I had been admitted, I I I became very homesick and was missing my children, and I also. Uh, became very concerned that they were going to keep me there forever and never let me leave. And so I, I told them I wanted to go home and that I wanted to, um, uh, I, I did no, no longer wanted to be a patient there. And I actually s- stood by the door screaming over and over again, let me the F out of here, let me the <laughs> F out of here, basically until they would, they let me out. And they, they called my husband to come pick me up. And that was the end of that. <laughs> That experience. So when they let you, when they released you from the hospital, um, was there any release with a treatment plan or they just said, go home and have a nice life? Um, they, they took me to a, they, they took me to a psychiatrist there in this, in Beijing. And, uh, of course he diagnosed me at that time with schizophrenia and, uh, then they, my husband's employer at this point understood exactly what was going on and they were trying to evacuate me at that point to go back to the United States, return to the United States and, and admit myself into a psychiatric hospital there. And so, and that's what they did. About within two weeks after that, I uh, had returned to the U.S. and had been placed in a psychiatric unit and an, an intensive care psychiatric unit actually in Alabama in the U.S. So husband and kids are still uh, in Beijing and you're back in Alabama. Um, No, no, the the whole family went. The entire family went. Oh, okay. Okay, because that that was like one of my concerns. Like, okay, you need support around you at this particular time. I would think that the separation would bring more anxiety and more, more issues and problems. But okay, so everybody came back. Now, so you're in the hospital and... In Alabama, um, what what is the diagnosis of the doctors there? They diagnosed me uh, with bipolar one with psychotic features. Okay, and for the layman, what did that mean for you? Um, it's it's uh, if if you it looks better on records if you have bipolar one with psychotic features than schizophrenia, simply because it's considered to be more treatable. Um, and so, uh, but the, the, basically the difference is, is, uh, when you're bipolar one with psychotic features, you have the highs and lows of someone who has, who is bipolar and, uh, they, you, uh, basically become manic before you become psychotic. And so it, it kind of is the mania exacerbates into psychosis is what happens. Okay. Okay. So did you bring Valentino to Alabama with you or did you leave him in Beijing? Oh, that's a good question. Uh, I, I brought him with me, but he, he, his, I, when I got into the hospital, his voice kind of, uh, I, I heard his voice less and less, but then I started hearing other voices 
um, instead of his. I, I didn't develop relationships with the other voices, though. His voice was the only one that I actually developed a relationship with. Okay. So you're in Alabama in a hospital. People are, have diagnosed you, so we're assuming that you're on some sort of treatment plan, but yet and still there's still the development of other voices? Yes. When I first uh, entered the hospital, I... I did, I believe that they had placed me there, um, to, to put me into some sort of survival game and that my husband was doing it so that to win money from the, at the, for the big prize at the end. And. Yeah, it was a TV show. <laughs> right. And uh-huh. it was, uh, it was, uh, it, I was very paranoid and I did not want to take my medication because I thought they were trying to poison me. And so I would pretend the first few days I pretended to take my medication and I and I didn't actually take it. But after a while, I did begin to take it. But um, the ICU unit was it was it was quite traumatic. That was probably the most traumatic experience that I had during my first break. Why? Why was what was the traumatic part for you? Um, I, it was just, I, it felt like being in a prison and okay. I felt like I was being treated like a prisoner. So, okay. okay. So what made you start taking your medicine? You said you weren't taking it at first, but what made you start taking it? Because this hospital had, um, had a less, uh, they had a, they had another unit that was for patients that weren't quite as severely mentally ill for them to stay. And uh, mine was just for the extreme cases where I was. And uh, I wanted to go down there. And I found (laughs) out that it was supposed to be much nicer. (laughs) And so um, I I figured out that if I took my medication, that they would let me go downstairs, So, uh, which is where it was. And so I, I, I started cooperating with my medic about taking my medication because I wanted to get out of there. Gotcha. Now, when you started taking your medication um, while you were there, did you notice a decrease in the voices or how how was the medication making you feel? Um, the the medication definitely worked, but it, it, it was it was it was gradual. It was very gradual. And uh, I'm trying to think about, I'm wondering when the voices stopped. Okay. I, I, was, I was admitted into the hospital for about 10 days and then outpatient for another week after that. And I think the voices actually stopped before the delusions went away. And I, I think they probably, by the time I was released, I don't think I heard any voices anymore, but I was still suffering from the delusions. Okay. Now, your delusions consisted of what kinds of things? Uh, well, the one was that uh, that the world was watching me. Okay. And uh, I think that was the, the worst one. And another one was that um, I believed that God had put me on earth to be some sort of like prophet at that point. This was my first break is what I believe this. Um, I, I That God thought I was... Uh, put on earth to be a prophet and uh, to basically uh, edit and translate the true meaning of the Bible and the Baha'i book, the Baha'i prayer book that I had, that I held on to. Now you said, I, I just heard you say first break. How many breaks did you have, dear? I had three. I, I, I had three in less than two years. Wow. Yeah. So each time uh, included a hospital stay? 
No, that's a good question. The second break, I did, and that's in my book as well. The second break, I did not go into the hospital, and I actually did not take medication uh, while I was uh, going through the break. And I managed, it took three months, but I managed to actually come out of that break uh, at, at the end. But it, it was, it was, it was the, the fight of my life. It was really a difficult situation. And um, I can only imagine, you know, you've got some youngsters, some kids, and you've got a husband. I, you know, it's taking its toll on you, first and foremost. But the family must have been a little rocked back and forth by mom going through all of this. Yes. Honestly, I think my first break was more traumatic for my husband than it was for me. I think um, the fact that I was not quite lucid uh, protected me um, from protected me from um, the realities of it all. Whereas my husband, I, I, I really thought he was a monster. I, I did. And and he, I, I, can't, I can't imagine anyone handling the situation better than my husband did. He, sta- he, just, he stood by my side the entire time. He would not leave as, no matter how badly I treated him. He visited me every day in the hospital. He wrote me poems. He, mm-hmm. he, he would bring me anything that I wanted. Uh, he brought me flowers when I wasn't in the hospital and, he he basically did just anything and everything that he could, and, he, and at, at the same time, he was trying to keep hold our family together because their mom had just lost her mind. It was it was very traumatic for my family, and I would say for more so for my husband than anyone. Big kudos to him. We can see why you uh, married him all those years ago. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Have good taste in men. Yeah, good. Awesome. So we're going to take our last break of the day, Shannon. Stay with me. We will be right back right after this. Welcome back to Don't Box Me In. Here's your host, Lana Reed. Hello, hello, and welcome back. Today I've been hanging out with Shannon Love. She is the author of the book, Twisting My Kaleidoscope, and we were talking about her um, breaks and her time in the hospital and uh, medication and all of that process to recovery there. Now, you said you had three breaks. When was the last? How long ago was the last one? My last break would be uh, a, a year prior to this past July. And, uh, when I had that break, when I, when I began to have symptoms, I, I just, I was so distraught and, uh, just so exhausted that I just, I called my psychiatrist and my psychologist and I asked them to please just put me into a hospital, local hospital near me that is a small intimate one that I knew, um, would be very a warm environment. And, uh, I just asked them to please put me in. I, I get me in. I, I couldn't, I, I was just not doing well at all. And I was in tears. And so they, um, they got me into the hospital straight away and I spent 10 days there. I got on back on medication okay. <laughs> on antipsychotics. And, uh, I, I have been taking, uh, my antipsychotic uh, since then and has been able to remain stable on medication. So 
I, that was going to be my next question. It, this is something that you still struggle with or you feel like you're fine as long as you maintain your medication? This is <laughs> this is something that I hope that will um, I will always be able to um, maintain with my medication and uh, I seem to respond quite well to the medication and I'm going to just uh, really hope that it continues to be that way. But it is my biggest fear is okay. to have a relapse. Okay. Okay. Now. Um you said that you had a, a wonderful husband that helped kept the family together and he was really there for you and, you know, whatever it took, he was going to help his wife get through this process. Um, but we know that, that not everybody has that. If you could, if you had something that you could say to the public that would help those that went through what you went through, what kind of tips or tools would you give them to help somebody come through? Um, a situation like you went through? Yeah. Um, first of all, read my book. <laughs> yeah, okay. And it will it will help you. It really will help uh, you get um, into the mind of the person who's psychotic and help you to understand that person better. But uh, that being said, just they're they're probably going to push you away and they're because they're going to have these delusions and you're and they're going to read your language in a different way than your than you intend and um it's it's going to be difficult and you just do just try to support them the best you can and honestly try to get them to go to a hospital if they're that severe um, if their situation is that severe, they, they probably really need to go into a hospital. It will not be fun for that person, um, uh, but it may be necessary in order for them to recover. Gotcha, gotcha. Now, uh, you, you mentioned your book the, um, as a tool for helping those understand. Um, and like the book is Twisting My Kaleidoscope. When did you actually sit down and, and write the book? Or decide? Oh, yeah. <laughs> that's that's a good question too, as well. Um, I I thought of the idea actually with with while discussing it with a friend of beginning the book after my first break and shortly after I started the book um, I uh, began to have symptoms with my second break so I finished uh, I I couldn't really write much. Uh, uh-huh. during my second break, but I did keep a journal during my second break and I, I used that a lot in my book uh, to help, uh, just to, ha- was to help me look back on the events and also I include little inserts, uh, from my journals, not all of it because it'd be boring. Um, uh-huh. and, uh, then after our, I, uh, after I recovered from my second break, I began, I continued writing my book and then I, of course, had my third break. After I recovered from my third break, I <laughs> I continued writing in earnest, and, and I finished it quite quickly because I just felt compelled to write this book, and it really just fell out of me. The story just completely fell out of me. It was it was so easy to write. Okay, so if now where you're at now, the spot where you're at now, if you go back and read your book now. It contains where your mind was at, what you thought you were seeing, first break, second break, third break. It has, um, you know, like um, your delusions and stuff like that in in there. 
Um, it does. It doesn't really, I, I, I didn't really write about my third break. Uh, I did, <laughs> it's in the epilogue, uh, because I felt like I should include that because I didn't want reader, uh, I don't want readers to read the book and think, okay, she, uh, recovered without medication and I don't want, so maybe I can too. And I do not want readers to think that that is a good idea because I, I chose the hard way and, and I learned my lesson. <laughs> I do take my medication now. Um, uh, but, uh, really I just, I just, uh, wrote about the first and the second break because I wanted the book to be, uh, entertaining for the reader. I did not want it to be dry at all. And I felt like adding a third, the third break would be redundant. So I, but I thought putting the first and the second one because there was such a contrast between the two that it would, it would hold the reader's attention quite easily. Okay. Now just, just a curious question. Um, you know, cause you said you were 42 when this first transpired and, uh, you know, we've talked previously, you, you did the whole college thing, you're a school teacher. So we know Shannon is a very intellectual, intelligent person. So when the voices started coming, Valentino and those, was there some sort of internal struggle like, Shannon, come on, we know better. There's nobody there, but. You, you would think, you would think. <laughs> I'm going to be honest and just yes. and admit that I'm a bit of a fool. But the the begin the first one, I I really completely uh, I just was so caught off guard that I became completely possessed um, by the entire experience. The second break. I fought it and fought it and fought it. And, um, it, and I did question a lot of things. I, and, and I, I did things to try to kind of figure out, uh, what was reality and what was fantasy. Because when you're psychotic, you cannot discern the difference between reality and fantasy. And so I did, I, I, I bought a dictionary to try to help me, um, understand the, the literal meaning of words so that I wouldn't, I would, it would make it easier for me to not accept the double language that I was hearing. And also I began to look at scientific theories and try to find scientific facts just so that I, I knew if I looked at facts that, um, that it would be easier for me to understand what was the reality and what was the fantasy. And I'm not sure how well it worked, but it kind of got my, my mind moving in the right direction at least. Give you some focus and direction. I got you. I got you. So now we are um, taking our medication. We're stable and everything. Um, I guess my next question: uh, What next for the Love Family uh, and Shannon? Any more overseas traveling? Or <laughs> um, well, I'm actually writing another novel. Okay. <laughs> okay. Analysis. This is just for fun, just for entertainment purposes. And uh, my uh, we're. Yeah, we have our oldest son graduates from high school this year and we'll go off to college and, and then we'll see where life takes us next. If, if we have an opportunity to return overseas, we certainly will. We, we love, love, love the adventurous lifestyle of, of, of living around the world and going from country to country. It's, we're, we're nomads. <laughs> <laughs> So you have a destination in mind you'd like to go to? You said that you've been to Spain and uh, Beijing and, and such. Is there something on the bucket list? Oh, goodness. Ah, I, I, I don't care. Uh, so <laughs> far, I've loved them all. So I'm, I'm up for pretty much anything. So Okay. Now, where do people pick up a copy of the book? Um, 
My, you can, you can order the books through Amazon or Barnes and Noble, and you can also get it on, uh, the Nook or the iPod, uh, and the Kindle. My recommendation is if you have a Kindle or a Kindle app to, to get it on Kindle because it's, that's the most reasonable price. And I had some, I had more control over the price for, uh, the Kindle version. And so I, I tried to make it a very affordable for anyone. Okay. Okay. So. But Amazon. Amazon is the best spot to get it. So we're going to go to Amazon and then key in um, Twisting My Kaleidoscope, which is an interesting title there. You know, when I I read it, you know, my childhood, I remember the little fuzzy, little funny looking thing. And, and, you know, you can only imagine that's kind of what your world is looking like as you're going through that that little chaos moment there. So, you know, very appropriate there. So once again, everybody, we're going to go to Amazon, type in Twisting My Kaleidoscope and pick up, she says, the Kindle is the best option there to get it. We are at the end of the hour here. It always goes so fast for me. I've enjoyed my time with you today, Shannon. Thank you so, so much for sharing your story. It has been truly unique. Everybody, please visit her website, lovekaleidoscope.com. Thank you for hanging with me today. And that is all for this week's show. I'll be back next week at the same time. Until then, remember when it comes to your dreams, the words can't and won't should never slow you down. There is always space to change and to grow. Don't be boxed in. Live your very best life. I am your host, Lana Reed, and I'll see you next week.